All right, everybody, we have the new interim featherweight CFFC world champion on the line. He just got a third round rear naked choke submission victory over Frank Wells in Jose Perez. How you doing, Jose? What's up, Mark? How you guys doing? Oh, you know, just living the dream day by day, you know? <laughs> yeah, working on it, working on it myself, man. All right. So I figured what a better way to start off than your last fight. So, you know, you're going in against Frank Wells. You're, you know, going for the interim CFFC featherweight championship. Um, what was the thing that surprised you the most throughout those three rounds? Was there something in particular that surprised you about Wells? Or did you think, did everything you thought that was going to happen, happen? Like, was there anything specific that surprised you in that fight? Um, he did his homework. That's, that's what surprised me. He did his homework, like, really well. I think, uh, so, I mean, I, I think that's, like, a big part of, of the transition from, like, amateurs. You know, when you're an amateur, like, you know, I hear, like, a lot of amateurs in my gym who are like, oh, what do you think of this guy? What do you think I need to work on? I'm like, well, like, not to knock it or belittle what they're doing, but, like, when you're an amateur, you're not really focused on your opponent. You should be focusing on yourself and kind of getting those things that, like, you're good at and, and tune those things in, you know, and kind of worry worry about yourself, you know. And then uh, you get a little, you get to the professional level, and, and yeah, you start to look at and you know drill a couple habits that your opponent has, you know, or, or prepare for a couple weapons, you know, add a couple tools to your reservoir, things like that. But no, when I went against Wells, I could just tell like um, now there's a lot of tape on me. You know, I've, I've fought for CFFC a lot, and and I'm sure you know basically almost all my fights, if they're not on YouTube, they're on the USC Fight Pass. So. I've got no hidden fights, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and now my fights have been longer. So I've been going to decision. There's a lot of tape and, and stuff like that, that you guys can see about me. Uh -huh. And as well as him, I could just tell like, um, like I do a lot of takedowns off the cage, like, man, like he was fighting differently when, uh, when he'd get closer to that cage, it's like, he knew like that that was about the time when I would normally shoot. So mm -hmm. like, I think like my shots were kind of delayed and stuff like that as far as takedowns go. Cause I could just feel that like he was aware of of, uh, of the game plan, you know, he was well planned for the jab, he was well planned for the takedowns, like things like that. Uh, so yeah, if I had to say one thing that I could zone in on, I was like, this guy definitely did his homework for sure. Right, right. And do you think that that's something that it's harder to find tape when you're in the amateurs, but when you get to that professional level, there is going to be a little bit more tape like your opponent has more ability to find your tendencies and stuff. Do you think that that's kind of the thing with the amateurs that make it a little more difficult? Cause you go into the fights and yeah, maybe you can like find a little bit. There might be some grainy footage out there somewhere of somebody that you're fighting. But like, do you think that that's really the biggest difference when going amateur to pro is like that you can now like study the tendencies and maybe this guy overextends on his jab. Maybe he double jabs and follows up with the right hand every time, like stuff like that. Yeah, no, definitely. So as far as, like, video quality and, and like, the production and stuff like that, that's a big part. But but also, you're going to see, like, a, kind of a – you're consistently – so when you look at me, you're consistently seeing me go against guys that are good, you know, and mm -hmm. you know what they're good at, you mm -hmm. know, or a certain skill level is met every time. Sometimes with the amateurs, you might see a guy go out there and look like he's a knockout artist, but then you kind of do a little further inspection into that, and it's like, oh, well, he was fighting somebody who turned out to be, like, you know – really inexperienced in the striking so you kind of have an inconsistent like basis to look at them off of and not to mention on the flip side yes but yeah the, you know you might be looking at grainy footage but you might be looking at something you know these guys are still developing yeah you know the uh the 
where I'm at, you know, for the most part, I'm not going to change too much from, from where I'm at. You know, I might improve on certain things, but yeah, you know, as far as like the general prototype, I am the general prototype of what I will be, you know, for the rest of my career, just because I'm, you know, we're in the professional level and I'm, you know, super developed, you know, and so, you know, this guy, we, you know, Frank Wells will always be an excellent kickboxer. That leg kick that he does, that's always going to be a favorite weapon of him. My jab, that's always going to be a favorite mm-hmm. weapon of mine, along with my jiu-jitsu, you know. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you're an amateur, you might be one or two fights in, and, and you might turn out to be a completely different fighter, in a, you know, a year down the line, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I'd say as far as grainy footage, that's definitely there. <laughs> but, but you might be looking at a different fighter in 2018 when you're fighting them, and you might have looked at footage from 2016, and, and this guy might have, like, you know – gained leaps and bounds as far as like skill level from where he was when you end up actually fighting him so so yeah i just think it, it's hard to judge you know as, as, as an amateur it's hard to judge what you need to do based off of your opponent do you think that like studying tape is a little bit undervalued in the amateur level or like when you first get to the pros do you think that that's something that's kind of undervalued by a lot of guys no, I, I think, honestly, like I kind of said, I, not that I'm knocking it, I do think it's good to look at your opponent and, and, and kind of have a, an idea. But, no, I just think that the, the value isn't quite there. It's not, you're not, you know, I'd say your fights shouldn't be that that close. You shouldn't be getting into wars mm-hmm. when you're an amateur. You know, you'll kind of see, like, you're going to have one guy who's definitively better and you know that he's got, like, you know, just a much higher level of potential than the other guy and, and it won't be like splitting hairs but i think when you get to the professional level it could be like that's where you know and even the later in a professional level not even early in the professional level but you know later in a professional level i'm not even quite there yet but you know when you get to like ufc those guys are splitting hairs mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying and it's a game of like not just inches but quarter inches and little moments and little tiny details make like such a large difference and i think that's where you know the value of watching tape on your opponent, like really, you know, is, is a big deal. I'm, I'm getting to that point, you know, I'm getting to that point to where like watching tape is, is important it, and it is important, but I just think uh, earlier on, it's more work on yourself. Later on, when you get to like that, you know, really high level. And, and like I said, you have these guys who have these really pronounced like habits that they have, you know, at this level, guys are changing still. You know, you'll still see guys pick up and drop things that that you know have it in one fight. They won't have it in the next. You know, maybe a flaw or a hole. But like I said, like in the UFC is where it's at the like highest level. You're splitting hairs as far as like things like that go. You know, a guy dipping his hand ever so slightly after a jab. That's where like that's where tape is, is the most important, the highest value. Yeah. So basically, like. The higher level you get, the less mistakes they make. So it's a little bit harder to yeah, find. Yeah. Everyone's good. Everyone's yeah, good. Yeah. So, so being able to pick up on the smaller detail of a flaw or a hole is, is that much more valuable at the highest level. Yeah. I, I just recently got to watch the fight back between you and Wells. And I think it looked to me like – I'm not saying that he was quitting because obviously it was a close fight. But it looked to me that he was kind of surprised that you were able to like continue to walk through what he threw at you. Like he was constantly looking to set up that overhand right or set up the right hand or get you to circle towards that direction so he could hit you with that right hand and then set you up behind the jab. But it looked like when you kept popping the jab in his face, when you kept landing that lead uh, switch kick to the body, it looked to me like he was a little bit surprised that you were willing to walk through that. Is that something that you saw throughout those three rounds? 
what I so what we saw. So kind of if, if we can give it away now. So all, if you watch all of Frank Wells' fights before that, he has this nasty leg kick, this right kick that he lands. And I think like I think checks like checking the leg kick and finding the timing on it. I don't think anyone's ever really found the timing on it for him. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he fought Tim Kwamba and and Tim Kwamba won the fight in the end, but but nonetheless, he still took a lot of damage from that leg kick, and and he couldn't really catch the timing on it, and uh, and what I find a lot of people do, and it kind of works for him, because he's a rangy striker, and his punches are all long and straight, and he kind of throws that overhand right from a distance. Um, people get so caught up in that leg kick, and they can't really figure out an answer for it, mm-hmm. that they're... Uh, they hesitate because he catches you on the step in. When you go to step in, that's when he like lets that leg kick go mm-hmm. on that first lead leg. You know, so uh, as soon as your left leg makes like that certain range point, yeah. he'll start fainting that jab as like a range finder and let that leg kick go. And people have been like basically stuck at bay, mm-hmm. kind of like stuck, you know, stuck backwards, stuck at a further distance than they'd like to be. You know. Um, the only one who was really like kind of had the idea that he couldn't execute it quite as much as he wanted to was Kwamba. Kwamba was basically every time he would throw the kick, he would blitz in and try to make him pay. Mm-hmm. Um, so the game plan for me is kind of a uh, contradictory to normal like uh, style, but uh, I couldn't really hang out that far because we were trying to flood his kicking range. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I just think that yeah, I think I took away a really valuable weapon of his. And uh, and he had to resort to the boxing, which that's where we thought that's where we thought I was gonna like be leaps and bounds ahead of him was in the boxing. But no, his boxing was solid too, man. Once we got past the kick, it wasn't it wasn't easy, you know, it wasn't fair game from there. Mm-hmm. So it was more of not it wasn't so much of like shooting after shooting after shooting. It was more of like getting to that boxing range and crowding the kicking range. Yeah. 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 So everyone throws the kick at, towards the end of their combination because they, you know. Once you land, you know, you might hit him with the first one. The second one, he blocks. The third one, he, you might, like, miss because it's kind of whimsing by because mm-hmm. you're throwing it as he's on the way out. Yeah. And right as he fades out of the punching range, he enters into the edge of your kicking range. So that's why they always throw the kick at the end of the combination. So uh, so for us, we didn't want to be, you know, we don't want to be caught moving backwards because those, those moments where you're moving backwards is really when he can, like, chop at your leg on the way out, you mm-hmm. know. So we wanted to be like uh, step in and through that kicking range and try to like penetrate through that kicking range and kind of flood his distance and, and get into some of those like we did get in some of those situations, but he was really wise. Uh, basically put him on his back foot because he has a tendency to shoot when he gets put on his back foot. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, getting like, you know, those those halfway boxing, halfway grappling ranges where, you, you know, you might be clenching the back of the head and, and, yeah. and throwing punches at the same time. Get caught in more of those situations just because that that raises the chances that we get into a grappling exchange, you know, which will work out in my favor. Yeah, and I think it's actually cool that we're doing the interview today because today is the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series, and I know <laughs> on the Contender I Series, <laughs> on the Contender Series is the I guess you can say current, but he's not really current. I mean, I guess he is, but. He's the current champ right now. Current current champ technically, but you know, if he gets through the contender series, he'll probably vacate it. But um Blake Builder, right? That's his name. I want to make sure I got it right. Yep, that yep, you got it right. So I mean, look, so he's on the contender series, he's going up against a guy, and you know, I know you're like basically right there for the UFC as well. 
So I saw somebody post about this. So I think it was John Morgan who commentates for CFFC. So I don't want to take all the credit, but it would be pretty cool if you two got to fight in the UFC on like a fight night. I don't know. Like, what do you think about that? Oh, dude, that would be so, so for me, I like, I could have done this. So the narrative is a big deal for me is what I, what I'll kind of like give a little clue into where I'm headed. So the narrative is a big deal to me. A lot of people just care about the number, and that's why you see people kind of pad their records with, like, guys that aren't so good or, or whatever, you know. And then when they do go against guys, like like the path of least resistance against uh, against Frank Wells would have been to immediately start diving for the legs like yeah. he thought I was going to do, right? Yeah. You know? um, but the narrative is a big deal to me, and it's not just, like, who I fight. It's how I fight the person I fight. And at the, you know, I want to be... For freaking my friends, at the end of this, I just want to be remembered as like a bad motherfucker. That's, you know, <laughs> yeah. that dude wasn't scared of anybody. He didn't yeah. back down from anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I want to be the only one being honest when I say those things. You know, mm-hmm. uh, but yes. So at that point, we wouldn't be unifying the belt. Yeah, because the belt would be vacated from both of us. Yeah. But in my head and in the fans' hearts who are watching, the guys who got to see us up close, you know. Uh, they they would understand exactly what this was the 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 team basically like CFFC's like matchmakers and and Rob Hydeck the owners and, and and those guys would all know what that secretly was even though like the majority of the fans watching the UFC would have no clue about what was going on in CFFC but but for me yes that would be cool to to say like because I've been I, dude when I stepped foot in CFFC I knew like I, I not to be arrogant but that's what we knew we're like dude I'm gonna come here and if I stay here long enough I'm gonna be champion that's what's that's what's gonna happen yeah when I my very first time fighting well like my first three honestly first uh, first three fights uh Pat Sabatini was the 145 champ and he uh he was always fighting the same night as me or they would do the double headers, you know, two nights in a row and he'd be the night after me or whatever. So he was just always a name that was kind of lingering around. And, and in my head, I'm like, I got him, you know? Yeah. Um, I'll get there. And, uh, so, you know, they, they were going to have Daddy Torres versus Blake Builder and that upset me. And I was like, man, I should have been me. And then it ended up like hashing out where Blake Builder gets to the belt on my eyes. So my, my target was set on him for the longest. And, and we were pushing for it, and from what I remember, CFFC was pushing for it too, you know, early summer to late summer, and and then he got this, you know, his call, which is a no-brainer. But but like I said, I care about the story, so I don't want to just be interim type, you know. I'll yeah. never have I'll never have been officially said they're not going to say, you know, CFFC champion. Yeah. But in my head, I'll know what that is and, and what that meant, and that you know, I'll be able to prove to everybody that that that's exactly what I was and exactly what I was always meant to be. Right, exactly. Couldn't have put it any better. Do you expect uh, Builder to get through this Contender Series fight, or do you think that he'll probably have a little bit of trouble? Um, I mean, to, to say he was going to walk through it, I don't think anybody's going to walk through a fight in the Contender Series uh, for the most part, except for Bo Nickel because they're giving him those easy fights. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, and I hope and I hope Beard gets him, but, you know, it's a tough one. Uh-huh. Um, Anyways, um, I don't think anybody's going to just, like, walk through anybody, but uh, actually my coach and, and, and me seem to believe that this is a really winnable fight for him. Like, we, like if I had to put my betting, my money on someone, as far as the bet goes, I'd say that, that he'll probably take it. Uh, and that seems to be the, uh, actually, like, uh, I would be in betting on the underdog there because I think most people are betting for 
that Alex Morgan guy to beat him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be a fun fight. The reason I say that is the, the one thing I'll give Blake Builder is his fights are exciting. They're not like, uh, he doesn't usually just coast to a victory. He doesn't point fight. Uh, he always has a shaky start. So that, and I think that just adds to the excitement to the, of the fights, you know, because it kind of gives it that back and forth affair. But I mean, I'm sure he's trained hard. I'm sure he's prepared. And, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say I care one way or the other, because if he doesn't, then great. Maybe we get to unify. If they call me before, then fuck, dude, I'll probably end up going too. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I, I can't blame him. I can't be mad at him for it. But it's yeah. just one of those things that I like, oh, it's a box I didn't get to check. But, I mean, uh, I don't care one way or the other. If he gets it, then spectacular for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, if he doesn't, then fuck, man, I'm just sorry. You know, um, but... But yeah, dude, I, I definitely think it's a winnable fight for him. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the Contender Series plays out because last week, I, I'm going to be honest, I don't follow Contender Series that much because there's so many fight nights and so many other promotions that yeah, it's kind of hard. Yeah. Like, yeah, like I can't, I can't follow it every week, but last week every single underdog won. So I guess it'll be interesting to see if all the underdogs win again today because I know you Builder is like a plus 200, but... I mean, in general, I think every underdog won last week. Yeah, dude, that's, uh, that's the nature of this game. That's, that's the only reason uh, I feel like in every sport they've got it down to a science, you know, and like football, they can literally predict like a child's yeah. likelihood of, of making it to the NFL based on like these insane stats about their finger size and crazy things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that uh, this is like, as far as competition goes, this is, there's still rules and things like that, but I'd say all competition is like said to be a watered-down form of combat. And, and this is combat. We have certain rules that kind of pull it away from that, but this is the only thing where grit and heart and all the intangibles matter the most. So there is no science that someone can give you. There's no perfect way to predict the winner of, uh, of these fights. That's what makes this sport so wild and so exciting. Yeah, it's a game of inches and a violent game of chess, basically. But. Yes. But, uh, you know, do you, would you say, and, and I understand if you don't want to talk about this because, you know, I, I know it's pro it's still going to be a sore subject, but, um, the passing of your teammate, Isaac Watkins, you know, that, that was, that was one of your main guys. And, you know, it looks like it kind of came out of nowhere. I don't know a whole lot about it, so I'm not going to sit here and act like I know everything like some other interviewers may do. And I don't. So, um, was this one of your most difficult or the most difficult fight weeks just because of the tragedy with your training partner? Um, I, difficult. I mean, they're all difficult. The weight cut and stuff like that was rough. I had like one, I felt really shitty one weekend. Like, so he, uh, it was about a, so he went into the hospital suddenly and, you know, wasn't conscious. And then, you know, we were hoping he would fight through and, and everything would work out in his favor, you know. But, uh, and it, it, and then on the weekend before the fight is when we found out that it didn't. And it was just like really crappy timing because that was when like the weight cut starts. And, and for me, I like the weight cut's never a fun time. It's, I'm sure it's never a fun time for anybody, but me in particular, I've had some like really bad weight cuts that kind of give me like almost like PTSD. Not even kidding. Uh, <laughs> And, and dude, like, my girl never leaves the house, and she left the house, like, I'm by myself, and, and then, uh, 
and like I got the news while she was gone and I was just by myself dude and I just like I really like that was like a really really hard weekend for me like really mm -hmm. really really hard mm -hmm. and uh but for the most part what I'll say is as far as like difficulty I just felt a lot of pressure like mm -hmm. uh, I felt pressure because like I know where I'm sitting as far as my career goes like I've, I have this body of work that I've created and like you know it, it could be like, you know, a loss will move you one peg ahead, or a win will move you one peg ahead, but a loss will move you three backwards, you know, and mm -hmm. I know that. So, like, yeah. I could delete, you know, at any moment I could delete everything that I've done. You know, I've built so much, and, and, and I did suffer that one loss, you know, a year ago, and then I've built back off of that. I just know that, like, I'm right there. I'm right there, and, and, and it, like, any slip will move you back, you know, and it'll, it's at the cusp of my reach, and I, you know, I just not there yet but i can almost touch it and i just like so it's a lot of pressure from that and i know like how much that means and and then being main event and all the pressure coming off the last fight you know they expect so much and uh and i just been i've been you know it, it makes it scary dude like this stuff's scary like as it is like i could to say it's not i'd be lying you know i think that's i i think my trademark should be that i wear my heart on my sleeve and that's like kind of you know, in the fight, before the fight, I'm very honest, I'm very genuine, I don't hide the fact that I'm scared or that or that I'm feeling something or this or that, you know, I'm very upfront about it, And but I just like, and my team, you know what I'm saying, everybody like, we were all like on this really big high and we had like, you know, this guy Ray Hoy coming out doing a documentary on our team and, mm -hmm. and it ended up being a blessing because literally like three days after some of the footage he got of Isaac talking, that's when all like crazy stuff happened with Isaac and, yeah. um, uh, and that really sucked, but I just felt a lot of pressure. Like, my coach never said it to me, and, and nobody ever said it to me. that like, you know, hey, dude, we really need you to win. Like, we really need you to win. But I just knew, like, going in, I'm like, dude, like, I can't I can't lose right now. Like, I cannot lose right now. I can't lose for me. I can't lose for my family. My team is looking at me after everything that's happened with Isaac. Like, we need, we need to... We need a positive, you know. Mm -hmm. It wasn't anything special about me that I had to carry the team. It just ended up being the timing, you know, that, yeah. that I was the one who had to fight right afterwards. And uh, and I knew, like, that we needed it, dude. I just felt pressure. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, being honest, in, in the fight, you know, I'm, I always, I'm always emotional and stuff like that. But, like, um, I really, really desperately wanted to put on, like, a, a perfect performance. And I, I trained hard for it. And, and like the moment that I started to feel adversity in that fight, I was like, started turning up maybe even more than I needed to just mm -hmm. kind of like uh, a little emotional in the fight. And, and it kind of turned into like, uh, there's some moments in the fight that I wasn't so proud of, but you know, none of the reactions and things like that. But I just say like in the fight, like maybe pressing too hard or pushing too hard or mm -hmm. trying to will my way to victory in certain ways, rather than just like resorting to the skill that I know I have. But, uh, but no, dude, so yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't easy, but it was just pressure. It was just pressure. It was just, you know, mm -hmm. it was just pressure. Yeah. There, there was a point in the fight with your opponent where you started jumping up and down when he was after the eye poke, I think. So there was the groin shot and then the eye poke and you started jumping up and down in the cage. Was that the point where you're like, come on, I'm just ready to like beat the shit out of this motherfucker. Like, <laughs> Wilting. Yeah. So one, the main thing we worked on was cardio for this one. Like I was in great shape. I that, honestly best shape of my life. Best shape of my life. I like, dude, I could have went. I could went so many rounds. Honestly, I felt great, and uh, and I knew he was tired. Like even if uh, even if like I wasn't catching him up against the cage, like or pressure directly on the ground, like 
the pressure was just forcing him. You know, the outermost lane in a circle is mm-hmm. is the longest distance. You know, yeah. So, so he was that. He was the one riding that outermost circle, and I was the one just kind of shimming to my left or right, depending on which way he was going. And he was the one kind of having to run. That man was running a marathon. I could just see him getting tired. I could see it. I could feel it in the second round and then all that stuff started happening and and i'll say one one nut kick was legitimate but the, rest, the other stuff was like dude I, yeah I, my teammate still refuses to believe me he's like no dude it was like the belt I'm like no dude that was all a cup i will and you see me that's the one where i put my hands up to keep ears like, oh, you're right you got it. that was clean in the ball yeah like, that was yeah bad. um but dude the eye poking on stuff that's kind of what me and him we even have like an argument about that after the fight like you know, he, he got really mad that I had said that. But I honestly, I even after the fight, I told him, we're just going to agree to disagree for the sake of me and you having a good night, you know, Mr. Wells. But uh, I, I don't believe that, that the eye poke and stuff like that was real. I believe that he was tired. And, mm-hmm. and you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. look at the beginning of round two versus the end of round two and the pace that he was able to set. I'm like, he literally had, like, I don't know, I, I should go back in time how much of a break that was, you know, cumulatively between all three. I'm like, dude, like, this is... And, and to be honest, like in MMA, you're not supposed to do it, call your own fouls. He would just make a, he would just throw his arms up and Keith Peterson would jump in and like split us up. And I'm like, so that was my way of telling him like, no, motherfucker, like, this is great, dude, let's get it. Let's yeah. go, let's yeah. go, let's go. Yeah. You know, so, so I was kind of, oh man, I was definitely the bad guy in that situation. <laughs> he, had, like, he had all of like New Jersey stacked into the 2300 arena. It was, it was great. I loved it. Um. <laughs> I turned the corner right when I was walking out, and uh, and I thought I've like got I've got high fives like right when I walked out before I seen these like three guys like kind of put their hands up, and I'm like, and I started to walk over to them like oh they're gonna give me high fives and I kind of like then I like closed my eyes focused in on what I'm looking at I'm like oh no those dudes are flipping me the bird. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll show you that kind of night. Uh, it was a wild one. Hey, it's always good to beat the guy in enemy territory, right? They might he might have had everybody in the arena, but <laughs> I've, I've played B side in that arena so many goddamn times that Philly's gotta love me. Philly's gotta love me, man. Um, <laughs> dude, and the crowd was so receptive. They were they were like so zoned in. It was it was actually kind of a cool experience. Like I'll be on that, like being there because I've been to fights like where. You know, a long time ago, where they like would hit the ground, they'd like stand them up, or yeah. in the face. like you know, really like ignorant following. That group was really intelligent on what was going on. Like, so you know, I went to that first rear naked choke on the with my right arm, yeah, and uh, and they were like silent, you know, because that's this crowd. Everyone was like tense, you know, waiting. Mm-hmm. And when this man slid my arm down, the, the second that he slid down, the crowd went nuts. And that was just a like a moment of. Those are like minor details that, like, if you weren't paying good attention, you would miss. But you could just tell the crowd was so invested mm-hmm. because even when he got my hand and he slid it down, they went nuts. They went nuts. They thought he was out. Yeah. And then I uh, looked right back in. It got quiet yet again. <laughs> like, I got like four family members there. I literally almost got into a fight. They almost got into a fight and got kicked out because of it. Um, oh, they were cheering for me, and the crowd didn't. Uh, the crowd didn't like it. They told me to shut the fuck up. Oh my god! A big thing. Dude, my family loved it. Uh, so like, uh, when the choke happened, there was like you watching people's like phones up, phones down. When I get the first choke, phones back up. When they get out, phones back down. When we end the fight, dude, someone threw a t-shirt into the cage. You can see it. There's a baby blue t-shirt. When I do my little scream, fucking dude took off his shirt and like threw it into the cage. Oh my god. 
second hold on i just paused it because uh all right so we cut off a little bit but we got everything so we're good um you know i think that the thing is with cffc like if you really look into it and you look at all the guys that have come out of there and i think we touched on this in the last interview that we did there are so many high level guys in the ufc that came out of cf cffc i mean you've got right now i think the the biggest guy is probably Aljamain Sterling, you know, the current bantamweight champion in the UFC. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I don't necessarily think that he full-on won that fight. I still kind of gave it to Peter Yan in the rematch, but I'm also a really big Yan guy, so I can't, I can't say anything about that. So, Aljamain, you got Sean Brady, who's still undefeated, who was a big guy out of CFFC. You mentioned a guy earlier, Pat Sabatini. He's kind of on his way up. Um, I think Paul Felder might have came out of CFFC, but I'm not. Yeah, Felder. I mean, like, it's just everybody's kind of coming out of there. And I think that it's been a little bit more apparent, like, in the last couple years that people are starting to take notice of it. But, um, like, I just think that it's kind of this breeding ground. And people always look at, like, these other professional promotions or, like, they'll look at LFA, they'll look at Bellator, they'll look at one and see, like, oh, when are they going to – leave there and go to the UFC, but like CFFC, they bring a lot of guys up to the UFC level. And a lot of them are very successful. Yeah, I agree. When I, when I first, uh, when I first started, like, so when I was also when I first got the offer and I was like setting up for a fight, it was in the middle of the pandemic. And, uh, and I had like, so March, I was March of 2020 on my birthday. I was supposed to fight, got canceled because of COVID. And I had just had a bunch of like random things like, offered and mentioned and then like they were never brought up again just because everybody kind of knew like oh everything's closing down and i had kind of like lost hope that i was gonna be fighting so when they offered uh brandon gator and cffc i was like yeah you know whatever and but i didn't like put you know didn't put all my eggs in the basket i didn't sign on all the way or commit that like it was even gonna happen i'm like this isn't gonna happen you know kind of in the back of my head so i wasn't really training as often as i should and uh and then like three weeks before my coach is like, hey, you still doing that fight? And I'm like, yeah. Is it still happening? And he's like, yeah, it's a go. Because I had no clue, like, the difference, you know. So I had never yeah. seen the UFC before that. And, uh, and he's like, yeah, it's our UFC fight pass. They explained it to me. and like, go check it out. And I was like, okay. And I clicked on it, and I looked at it, and I was like, I had never been a part of a show with, like, that level of, like, production and or that nice of a cage and all that stuff. And it just looked so, like, official, and the lights were so bright. I was like, holy cow. And... And uh, I was watching Bill Algio. That was mm-hmm. like the Bill okay. Algio. He's also the UFC now. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, dude. But but the the brights, the lights are bright, and the production's awesome. And but yeah, dude. Uh, I don't really know what it is about the East Coast, but it is like a hotbed. I I, I can't lie for all the uh, fighters, and I think it is. It's it's just. It's a good group of a couple gems mm-hmm. that are like consistently putting out, you know, good guys, you know, and, and yeah. I'm, I'm happy to say that I've gotten to fight a couple of them. Issa Dallapaz was from like probably the main gem that CFFC uses for mm-hmm. like its fighters and its main guys is uh, Gracie Philly, is, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Gracie Philly and that uh, Daniel Gracie 
and John Marquez or something like that. It's like 12 different names in one, but, but yeah, one of those gyms is the right name that they like to go by. Yeah. And, uh, and that's like where Pat Sabatini, John Brady, mm-hmm. that Andre Petrovsky, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. All of them are from that same gym. Uh, Issa Dalatar is from that gym. And honestly, like, out of everybody that I've grappled from the grappling standpoint, Issa Dalatar, no, he didn't, like, necessarily, like, get on top of me or do anything crazy. But just, like, when I was going against him, his awareness and, like, mm-hmm. his, like, activity was, like, he was doing all the right things when he was fighting me. I could just tell that, like, um, dude, honestly, if I could go back and have, like, all my opponents fight each other just to really see who was doing yeah. <laughs> yeah. no, dude, he was good. The Nick Catone gym, the, the Capaldo's that he's got some killers, like, yeah. uh, the Curatolo guy and all them. Mm-hmm. They got Sarah Longo out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy, like, Puma Nakuda. And, uh... Uh, they just got like a lot of good gems, a lot of good guys. Like, and it is like like old gems that like you know former fighters, former UFC fighters, high level guys that just have a lot of experience, and they're kind of passing that down to this next generation of guys. And, and if you look at like the the pictures and stuff like that from their gym, these guys have like fifty dudes in there at a time. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, man, it's a. Uh, they just they just got a good thing going. They got a good group of gym. It's like a factory just pumping out all these fighters. And then they got CFFC, which is like, they just got a good setup down there. They got a good setup. They got a lot of good gyms. They got a good company that's like putting the shows on for them and, and getting their name out there at the, high, you know, at the highest level available to them. And, uh, and CFFC has a wide reach where you can pull these guys out from other regions and kind of use them as like development for, for their guys it's just it's a good setup it's a really really good setup they got everything worked out all the kinks are worked out we need we need something like that we need you know we need a different MMA culture in Chicago we need we need a good you know some good high level promotions that like you know are never failing you know consistently churning out fights like every month you know we, yeah. we, we need those kind of things down here yeah no I, I agree and it's interesting how you said that Dalapaj was uh like the most intelligent or the most aware guy that you grappled for your professional fights or in CFFC. Cause I'm not going to lie. I'm a big Sean Brady guy. Obviously I don't know much about Dalapaj. I did look into him when I obviously interviewed you before that fight. Cause I believe that was the last time I interviewed you was before the, the ISA fight. But um, if you look at Sean Brady, the guy just beat Craig Jones in a fury grappling match. And you know, I know a lot of people probably aren't going to, no, like if they don't follow it hardcore, they probably have no idea who I just talked about. But like, that's a big deal. I know he didn't submit Craig Jones, but like to be able to outpoint or you know survive against a guy who's been competing jujitsu his whole life, I feel like that's a big feather in the cap of Sean Brady. Yeah, no, they got they got they've got it down. They've got good technique, obviously. I mean, it, it, what a lot of people think is it's not like all of them. It really is just the number of reps. It, it's drilling. Yeah. Drill is yeah. killer. So. So with jujitsu, I feel like uh, like everybody knows how to throw a cross. Everybody knows how to throw a hook. But how do you throw in ten thousand? You know, yeah. That's really when it starts to make the difference. With jujitsu, you do kind of to some degree. You could drill wrong. You can, yeah. You could drill the wrong things. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, it's the most important thing is reps. Yeah. But you do have to look at the quality of your reps. You know, yeah. did your teacher make sure like he was on your butt, making sure that like all the fine details are ironed out before mm-hmm. you consistently started drilling so you're not creating you know like bad habits actually so so they do they obviously know what they're doing they, they, they've got a good team you know i can't really knock them there they, they've got a bunch of good fighters there and and just from east of dollar project i can tell they, they they're drilling 
they're drilling correctly. They're drilling yeah. proper techniques for, for the sport and stuff like that. They're not, you know, because a lot of people, like, they drill beautifully, but it's just, like, inapplicable in the fight. And I was just watching him, like, he was always, he always knew, like, he was never afraid. He was always, like, posting on my hips. Yeah. Escape. He was never, like, a lot of people kind of try to start bucking and they, you know, when, when that pressure hits, they lose sight of the technique that they're supposed to do. And I could just tell that he had a lot of reps, you know, working the things that he was working. Yeah, well, we'll go back since we're talking about grappling and jujitsu and like the finer details. If we go back to your Frank Wells fight, like the minute you got the takedown, it looked like Frank kind of was on his side. If I remember the exchange correctly, because I'm trying to picture this in my head, I didn't I pull it. Landed in like a, like a half guard, yeah. And had like an underhook on the opposite leg. Okay, yeah. So you you caught a kick, you pushed him against the cage, you took him down. He landed on his side, like you said, in kind of a half guard. It looked like, now I think I know the name of this position because I've done this like training for a while, but it looked like you kind of like, I guess you could call it a scarf position, but it wasn't a scarf. Like you, yeah, you reverse, yeah, you reverse, you reverse scarfed to like open your hips and then you passed into the full mount. But as you passed, he turned. So you got your hook in and then that was kind of the, the end of the game right there. So I didn't go to full mount. I hooked the top leg. Okay. I felt the way. So, so, so from that position, I can choose to either bail to side control or, okay. or mount. Yeah. And I, it depends. You know, it depends on which leg I hook. So if I hook the bottom leg, I'm gonna lift on it and and start to kind of get them in side control. And I can openly say this. I, and I hope my opponents listen because they won't be able to stop it regardless. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those things I do, man. You, you can watch what I do, and it doesn't doesn't make a difference, man. Um. So yeah, if I if I hook the, the near side leg, it means I'm going to side control. But okay. when I hook that top side leg, I'm going to mount. Okay. But he was like uh he was like hooking my body, like he had like a body lock on my body and I could tell him like he's gonna bail to his knees. Yeah. So it's kinda like, is he gonna turn in or is he gonna turn out? And uh the way he was like wrapped up, I'm like, he's gonna try to turn in but to his knees. So I knew that he was gonna give me his back. Mm-hmm. Um I was just kinda waiting for him to make a move. I hooked that leg and, and I felt him start to go and I just reached back with uh with the other arm for like the cross face and yeah. And once I got there I knew I'm like he's just like the rest of the man. He's openly giving me his back. He did, you know, yeah. he's not ready for what I'm gonna do. Yeah, well a lot of the times with guys if they get in like like you said, if it's like the referee's position where they're on their knees or if they get to the point where they're kinda turning to their side and like a side control position. Nine out of 10 times, the guys are going to go to their back. The only guys who ever give up their back, or I'm sorry, not go to their back, give up their back. Yeah. Yeah. Nine out of 10 times, the guys who are the best grapplers and the most, you know, effective or most educated, I guess you could say, are the guys who may give their back up for like two seconds, but then immediately they'll put their back down to the mat to then put their hips in and kind of shrimp towards you to get that underhook, right? Like, like, yeah. This, this is something that's forgotten, and I think that in MMA we like to say, like, oh, you got to give up your back to get up. And I'm like, well, you have to face your opponent, dig your underhook, yeah. and then you, can, then you can turn your back from there because you don't want to just, like, let somebody get you back, you know? Yeah. Uh, so for me, it's just like, and, and in MMA also, like, so, so I go by old school D points, you know, there's the four point positions in Jiu Jitsu, those are the highest scoring positions, which is mount in the back. Yeah. And, uh, in theory, what they say is that the points in jiu-jitsu were created based off of the ability to strike from that position or the effectiveness of the strikes from those positions. So like the back and, and mount, those are like perfect striking positions where you can just kind of go 
you know, at three range, you hit them as much as you want from those spots. Um, you, got, you can't give up your back. I, 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 that's literally, that's my bread and butter. And I think that like my, that's why my jujitsu, I, it's old school. My jujitsu was created for fighting. My jujitsu wasn't created for scoring points. You know, yeah. there's, there's a newly, newly developed new school jujitsu, which is like the Baron Bowles and things like that, that make it super high scoring effectiveness to get to those, to the back and, and to those ankle locks is like, through the roof they're like ironed out for their sport mm-hmm. but sometimes like uh you would find yourself in precarious situations if you were to be like in a striking affair you know like maybe put mm-hmm. your head in weird spots and and both of your hands are taken up by something mm-hmm. and, and my jiu-jitsu is just really fine-tuned for, for fighting for combat sports like for punching and things like that so so I just think that uh, these guys always give their back up to me. So, so what they need to do is they need to start learning to bring their elbow and knees like together and stop letting the hook just come in so easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because immediately like you put that hook in, you immediately b- brought him back towards you in like that seatbelt position, and then you had the body the body triangle. Once that body triangle's in, and like you have you on your back, I mean, I I didn't want to say like the fight was over at that point, but the fight was basically over at that point. <laughs> Yeah, I shouldn't be able to pass your guard like that easily. Not not knocking him, but I'm just saying that like there's levels to it. He he was he was an excellent kickboxer, and I was trying to match him as much as I could in, in his domain. But in my domain, I proved to be like decisively better. And I say that with respect to him. And but I mean, it's just that is what it is. We, we, he said leading in that he didn't think that jiu-jitsu was like special or anything. Uh, the thing about my jiu-jitsu, and I say it all the time, is it's not, it's, I'm not rolling, I'm not doing anything too crazy. I did the banana split, but that was to attract eyes and, and get attention on me, you know, because I desperately needed it. Um, but but nothing I do is, is crazy. Nothing I do is, is special. It's like I said, it's the number of reps that I have in what I do. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the little details that I do, you know what I'm saying? No matter how much pressure is on, I always have those fine details worked out because I've done it 10,000 times. I've done the proverbial 10,000 hours of drilling. You know, I've done that. I've been there. I've done that. And now, like, when I do it, you can see it, but it doesn't mean you're prepared for it. Yeah, you've been there, done that, and you even got the T-shirt after your fight, right? <laughs> I did. <laughs> um, all right. So I, I think, like, and, and with what you said, like, the 10,000 reps, like, a lot of people, I think you're seeing it more now in high-level MMA is, like, basics win the world championships. You know, the the, the biggest and, and best champions, whether it's MMA, whether it's one, uh, you know, because one's getting pretty popular now. You have one championship. You have UFC, Bellator. The guys who are at the top, like, yeah, there's some guys who are super flashy, like, a, I guess you could say, like, a TJ Dillashaw would come to mind when I say flashy because he uses all those, like, stance switches and hip bumps and stuff like that. But a lot of the time, even them doing that, it's all the basics that win the titles. It's a jab. It's a cross. It's a hook. It's a right hand. It's a, it's a high kick. It's a body kick. Like they're just setting it up differently, but the basics are what win the belts, you know? Yeah. Oh, 100%. I feel like there are, everyone loves to see the crazy stuff, the, the banana split or the, uh, or the, you know, the rolling ankle locks, the people doing crazy stuff, the <laughs> Tony Ferguson, and there are, there is a, there's a market for that. And there's guys that the highlight real guys, they might not be at the top of the food chain, but they do moves like that. You know? yeah. And that's, that's just where they, that's stuff that works for them. And, and then, like you said, but at the very top at the pinnacle of sport, you know, 
Khabib wasn't doing anything insane. Yeah, he was doing like I said, he was doing the same thing over and over again. He had a recipe for success, and it worked on everyone. It didn't matter. You knew what Khabib was going to do. You were aware of it. But could you train enough in six weeks to prepare for it? No. No. Yeah. Not in six weeks. That's what I say for my jiu-jitsu. Like you can't prepare for my jiu-jitsu in six weeks. Not six weeks. Not six months. Maybe not in six years. If you didn't come into this with with a preset ability of skills that that you know matched mine or or maybe like counteracted mine mm-hmm. or at very least could mitigate mine, mm-hmm. then it's you know what you do in the next six weeks isn't going to help you. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what like we said, like the top level. All these guys that they're just so good at the basics, and then they can add on top of it. And I think you're seeing you're seeing that that crazy shit it doesn't work as much anymore. I guess the the easiest guy I could pinpoint the craziness to working for is Yuri Prohaska because that guy's just insane. I don't even know where he came from, but like I guess when it comes to craziness, it used to be Tony Ferguson, but he's fallen off, you know, and got knocked into orbit with that front kick by Chandler. But um. No disrespect to Tony. I mean, he was the top of the game for a very long time, but yeah, but there's generations to it. Yeah, yeah. To like uh, to be not his generation, you're getting to his expiration date. Yeah, I picked. I said when he fought Gaethje, I picked Gaethje to beat him. That was like one of my first podcasts that I did, not first, but around there. And I picked Gaethje to beat him. And after that fight, I remember I said, Tony Ferguson will never win another fight in the UFC. I said like that was it. He was done. So far. I've been right. And it's not a knock on Tony, but like when you take that kind of damage and then you're going against still the top level and the game's evolving like that. I know he's going up to welterweight now against Jing Liang, but I don't think he wins that one either. I think Tony's done, man. And and, and I love Tony, but I just think it's done like at this point. Uh, I was worried about him being done after the Gacy, but, uh, but he, to, to, to his credit, I don't think that the, I think primetime Ferguson was still there before the front kick. Okay, yeah. He looked, he looked great. He, looked he did. Great against, he looked great against Chandler. Like, I, I think he was winning up until that point. Like, yeah. In my book, I mean, not that it, and Chandler's no joke, man. Like, he's really no joke. But uh, but to kind of have that, like, that kick would have knocked it. Like, if that wasn't a question of chin. That kick would have knocked him out. Anybody, like, yeah. You know, if he was 22 years old, he would have got knocked out by that. You know, fresh fresh out the coop, no, you know, no damage. That would have knocked him out then. Yeah. But, uh, but man, that's just like, it's shit luck. It's shit yeah. Because that landed, yeah. it landed. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, if he wasn't shaken up before, or, you know, maybe he was shaken up, but just wasn't like uh, being affected by it. Yeah. It's like, dude, like, it's, it's done. Just saying. Yeah. Basically, all those same thoughts you had or doubts that you had after the Gaethje happened, those have just been reaffirmed. Even though it looked like he was off to a really good start with Chandler, but yeah, that's rough. Yeah, I think, uh, well, like, okay, so I've asked you who you've wanted to fight against in the UFC. I believe I asked you that before, but in your division, is there a specific guy in the, at the, in the UFC right now? It could be ranked. It could be unranked that you want to go against. It could be your UFC debut for, for all I, you know, like it's, it doesn't matter when it happens. Is there somebody in particular that's in the UFC right now that, I wouldn't say you have your eyes on because you obviously have your own things to focus on, but is there anybody in particular where you're like, I want that fight? No, uh, nobody in particular. Um, and, and so I think that it has to be said that in MMA fighting, you have to be confident. You have to like have these things, you know, 
uh, in your mind. You can't have like any doubt in your mind because that breeds hesitation. So, so confidence is is a uh, it's a skill set of its own yeah. in MMA. Yeah, you got to believe in yourself. So, just being honest with my skill set, I think that like a like a year Rodriguez would be like an. Mm. Awesome. If I could somehow have that as my first fight, mm. someone like that that's well known. Um, I really think that I could. You know, I, I understand that by all means I have to earn it. I have to earn my right to, to fight those guys and to get to those household names. But mm. but if I could cheat the system and get it my very first fight, I think that that would be a successful outing for me, dude. Mm. With me right now, you know, get, get a full training camp. You know, Jose with no job. Jose full-time devoted to training, full-time, you know, just preparing for that. Dude, I, I think that there's like a number of guys, you know, between – between 15 to like five and seven and as far as the ranking goes yeah. in, uh, in the featherweight division that I really, I really think I could beat like damn near all of them. I There's think guys in the top five that I'm not trying to tell <laughs> you, but yeah, I'm, not, I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. But, yeah. but you know, that's just, as a fighter, that's what this is. You know, I'm going to, we're going to watch the fight. We're going to watch the featherweight go at it. And, and I'm going to like be in the zone and my girl's going to see me in the zone, just focused in on the fight and then analyzing everything. And then when the fight's over, she's going to look at me and she's like, you could beat him. You know, ask me if I could beat him. And, uh, and I got to answer and I try to answer honestly for the most part. And, yeah. uh, and I'm pretty good. I, I think I could beat anybody, but if I'm being genuine, there's only some guys I know, know for a fact that I can beat and, you know, but I think that a year Rodriguez somewhere around that that ranking level those that experience level those guys those are guys that could beat yeah i think a yair rodriguez fight would be very very interesting for sure i think if you got him to the floor i know yair has gotten better with the grappling but if max holloway can take you down a few times i think if you got him on the floor it'd be a wrap for him i'm not gonna lie but <laughs> I have yet to show you guys what it looks like when I go against a grappler. Yeah. I've had a lot of guys who like, you know, obviously everyone says like, oh, I'm a grappler, but I can strike, or I'm a striker, but I can grapple. I say I went against all the guys who were considered strikers, but they can grapple, but that's not their bread and butter. I really want to get some fights against some guys that are grapplers, like real grapplers, because mm -hmm. there's a difference. I'm telling you, there's a difference between what I do and, and what is claimed to be like the what our stereotypical jujitsu guys are. Yeah. You know, yeah. Oh, that's a jujitsu guy. What I do and what they do are not the same thing. Yeah. And I just I really think it's one of those things that, that we're all getting kind of thrown into the, the same barrel together. So I think if I could start to go against some of those guys, you guys could kind of see the difference between what I'm doing and what they're doing, you know, and, and what better way than to Guy. <laughs> yeah, I think Brian Ortega, I, I think I'll say this. If you got into the UFC tomorrow, you got a contender series fight, you got a short notice fight, somebody fell out, whatever. I think that the highest level grapplers in that division, if I was going to rank you among them, I think it'd be at 145, it'd have to be you, Ortega. And I guess I'll put Movsar Ivoyev in there, but he hasn't fought like the best guys yet. But from what I've seen, he looks like a very solid grappler. I'd say you, Taporia, Bryce Mitchell, and Brian Ortega. I, I think that would be at 145 right now. Those are the top grapplers. If you got into the UFC tomorrow, you're you're on the top of the list with the best grapplers in the division. Yeah, I just, and, I, and I want to prove it, man. I want to prove it. That's what I'm saying. He's, uh, 
I have nothing against the strikers. They, that's it's beautiful in its own right, but uh, that's not directly my thing, you know. Yeah. So um, I'll always try my hand at it. That's just who I am. That's my pride. That's my nature. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, dude, I want to I want to mix it up with someone who's 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 happy and excited to meet me where I'm best at, instead of like forcing these guys to tango my tango. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think an interesting first fight for you. If I and obviously I am not no matchmaker. I never claim to be. But if I could give you a first fight against a guy who's in the rankings right now, let's say top ten, I think you and Dan Ige would be a pretty good first fight. Oh, he's got good hands. But... <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he's got good hands. But I mean, you showed your hands in the last fight too. I feel like if you got him on the floor, they could be a problem. Yeah, yeah, man. That's uh, man. <laughs> You're getting me hyped up with this interview, man. What? Yeah, I'm like shit, man. You get in the rankings. Who can he go against? I'm fucking going one through fifteen in my head. <laughs> I think I covered pretty much everything I wanted to cover for this interview. Is there anything specific that you wanted to mention? Is there anything that you wanted to bring up quickly or no? No, everything's, uh, I mean, we crossed all our wires. We're good, man. Yeah, man. I think we got just about everything. Dotted the I's, crossed the T's, and even got the free T-shirt. So, <laughs> so um, maybe the next time we see you, it's inside the octagon. Maybe the next time we see you, it's on a Tuesday night. But the one thing the fans... Yeah, yeah, man. But I think the one thing that the fans know is that when they watch Jose Perez fight, they're not going to get no boring 15-minute decision. No, dude, I'm going to try to kill somebody. There's one way I'm going in, there's one way I'm going out. They're not the same, man. I'm, I'm coming out a winner. I'm coming out, sweet. No, for sure, man. Is there anything you wanted to touch on, anything you wanted to shout out before we wrap it up here? No, man, the team, I, I guess the team. I guess in the words of Michael Chandler, we could use his quote because we talked about him a little bit. I guess uh, I'll see you at the top. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, man. Thank you for your time. Um, I hope you enjoyed the interview. You know, I always like to make sure that the guys I'm talking to enjoy the interview as well. So I hope you enjoyed what we talked about. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
Yeah, dude, you're super receptive, and it's like, I like talking to people that actually know what the, what the hell's going on, you know? Yeah, and that's what I'm trying to be. I try to tell everybody there's a lot of podcasts out there, there's a lot of YouTubers out there, but I don't think a lot of them know the game like I do. I'm <laughs> Like, I'm not saying I'm the best, but I'm here to prove it, you know what I mean? Exactly, man. Well, thank you for the time, and I can't wait to see you the next time you step into a cage, whether it's CFFC, the UFC, or somewhere in between. You got it. I'll see you, man. All right, I'll see you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.